Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 79. It's March 19th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to discuss a variety of topics, mostly driven by the questions that we've been receiving uh, around the request for Project GOAT worksheets. So we're doing a pretty good job, I think, of staying on top of those requests. Uh, but there are questions about the shortened season, questions about keeper league strategy, draft and hold strategy, all sorts of different things. So hopefully some very broad interesting topics that will apply to a lot of people, even if they don't play in some of those particular formats. Uh, you know, how's it going for you on this Thursday? Settling in, settling in. Got a couple marathons going where we're watching different movies uh, with different kids, basically. <laughs> we got different <laughs> things going on. Got an order into Amazon uh, for a bunch of workbooks and uh uh, and a, and a, a big encyclopedia of all of the uh, spaceships and vehicles in Star Wars that uh, my elder one is going to really enjoy. That sounds like a pretty cool book. Yeah, it pairs up with what we're doing with the fact that we're watching all of the Star Wars movies uh, in the order of the story. So we have slogged our way through episodes one, two, and three. Uh, and today we're on five, actually. And the question on my mind is, why does R2-D2 poke Yoda? Shouldn't he know Yoda? <laughs> These are the kinds of questions that we never thought we'd put as much thought into um, as we're putting yeah. into now. They're here on Dagobah, and, all, and, and R2-D2 is hostile towards Yoda, or they're hostile towards each other. And I don't know if it's just part of the act, because that's the part where you know, Luke doesn't know who Yoda is or if that's just a little blip in the in the backstory there. I actually think Yoda's probably very skeptical of modern technology. So there's probably a lot of meaning in that interaction. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm so glad we're just done with the first three. Jeez. Whew. I thought the third one was okay because it bridged the gap into the you know original trilogy like I, I felt like when i watched episode three that i was pretty satisfied with that no it, it it but it two was so so bad one of the worst movies of all time that it made me so sad we actually waited in line for one and then after one we were like uh well i guess we'll wait in line again <laughs> you know and then after we wait in line for two we were like no and so then three was like, okay, you know, you know, oh, fine, fine. It was okay. But you know, like two was so bad. I was like, I might just be done seeing these forever. Um, and so three, three, I did think you know, there were some good fight scenes in, in one and three, I think. I gave away my Lord of the Rings trilogy a while back on DVD. And I still have a few ways to play DVDs, mostly, I'm pretty sure if you put a, a DVD in a PlayStation 4, it will play it, even if it's not a Blu-ray. Um, and I kind of regret it, but at the same time, that was like probably a five-plus years ago now. So, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll find something else to watch. But I think, yeah, rediscovering some old things, going back and re-watching, re-listening. I was listening to Rumors this morning, the Fleetwood Mac album. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It, it was a good, good re-listen. It always is. And, uh, is Fleetwood Mac Yacht Rock? Yeah, that's exactly where my mind went. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about it really on the show. Uh, and, and to be completely candid, I think the, the preamble to our show is going to be kind of a, a therapeutic rambling of what are we doing to uh, stay sane in our confined quarters? It may be expanded as uh, as the longer this goes, yes. <laughs> but the hope is that it helps everybody in different ways or at least just helps us. So the backstory here is that we're doing right now what we usually do before we start press record. <laughs> yeah, more or less, yes. And so a couple, a couple, I don't know, like a month ago, I introduced Derek to Yacht Rock, which if you haven't seen it, um, there's a, a, a series on Yacht Rock on YouTube. It's old by now. Someone, I think, right after college told me I had to see this. Um, and he said I had to see two things. I had to see uh, this, this show called a Ninja Warrior from, from Japan. Um, that was before we ever had American Ninja Warrior and all that. And I had to see this, this series on Yacht Rock. And it basically imagines, um, 
if Kenny Loggins and Hall and Oates and Michael McDonald were all hanging out with each other all the time and friends and uh, that these songs were born of their interactions, which uh, to a certain extent might may be true. I don't, I'm not a historian, but like that, but it's just hilarious. And the, the music is great. And there's a, a secondary debate that has sprung out of this about what exactly is Yacht Rock. Um, and, uh, you know, is it, it can't just be all eighties easy listening. Like there's a certain, there's a certain boat flavor to it. You know, there's a certain, uh, I don't know. Music makes you feel a certain way. And I think one wow, of the that things sounds it, like you could have been in an episode right there. Yeah. Well, it, I, think, <laughs> I think music can make you feel like you're on a boat. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's something here. I, I was starting to think about yacht rock, um, probably, I don't know, a week or two ago, I forgot how this came up. It's probably after one of our shows. And I thought maybe there are subgenres. Maybe there's daytime yacht rock and nighttime <laughs> yacht rock, right? Yeah. Because e- even the mood on a boat during the day versus at night is very different as well. Uh, and if you're kind of like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Um, <laughs> it, I would not watch Eno's videos first. I would watch them because they're ridiculous and they are funny. But I'd probably go to Spotify and just type in Yacht Rock and look at their playlist and just look at the artists uh, on that list. Maybe listen to it for a little bit. Why not? Yeah, just just turn it on, shuffle it up, pick some songs you like on it, or write us, tell us why Yacht Rock is amazing or why it's terrible. Uh, any sort of interaction at this point, I think, is is good. Uh, <laughs> to answer your question, is Fleetwood Mac Yacht Rock three tracks off that album? are on the Spotify Yacht Rock playlist. Ah. Uh, Dreams, Don't Stop, and Go Your Own Way are all on there. Oh, see, Go Your Own Way, like it feels like Yacht Rock. It's daytime Yacht Rock. Daytime Yacht Rock, yeah, exactly. It's like right as the boat is leaving the dock. (laughs) It's getting kind of amped up to stand there and drink alcohol in the sun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. I hope we all get to do that. that. That would be nice to one day do that again. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the thing I, I was thinking about with the Rumors album in particular, I think the first track on the album is my favorite track, Secondhand News. And a lot of times when I listen to an album, I, I would say more than at least a quarter of the time, maybe as much as half the time, the very first track on an album is actually my favorite track on the entire album. And I don't know mm. why that is. I, I think there's generally a lot of thought put into what order the tracks are on the album. You know, like you don't hide like people hide bad songs on an album or songs that they're not as proud of, and you don't hide it first. Yeah, you, you hide noodle arms in left field. You hide bad yeah. tracks in the <laughs> yeah. eight or nine positions exactly. on your album. Yeah. You want to start good and you want to finish good. Yeah, yeah. So that that like on a twelve track album, the six to nine range is probably where you're going to put most of the garbage. Oh my god, I wonder if there are people that do this sort of analysis, like sabermetrics of you know, album lineup analysis, you know? Well, I, I've been looking for a lot of new hobbies that uh, don't require me to go outside. So <laughs> this is a strong contender yes. for a new hobby for me. Yes. <laughs> Where are all the hits? <laughs> Where are the hits? And just like, I, I, I ran through the Rolling Stones 500 best albums of all time and analyzed. Exactly. I wrote an algorithm that scrapes all of the algorithm. The, the <laughs> average, average rating of all the songs that are in this yes, range or higher than yes. this range. If you can do this please do this for us <laughs> yeah even better if someone wants to just take that project on do it in like a day yeah. and, and say hey I, i'm i'm good at, at programming and stuff so here's your answer <laughs> speak of which uh I, I i have a little bit on this in my column tomorrow but um i there is some good news about fantasy baseball we may have some fantasy baseball coming your way soon i don't want to promise over promise but i am in contact with somebody that wants to build a game around Korean baseball and Korean baseball is slated to start in maybe late April or early May, which you may think that we'll start up at that point And that case you don't care. I think most of the people I talked to in baseball are a little bit skeptical about at least uh, April or May. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see a major league game until at least June. Um, Maybe some form of whatever spring training looks like is possible around Memorial Day, but I wouldn't expect people to be at those games if that's even, even if that's yeah. But I'll take some baseball on TV. Jesus, anything. Yeah, some we're seeing a lot of old virtual games. Press conference. Well, the Brewers, the 
the Brewers are doing something pretty cool. They are going to, on Thursday next week, which would have been opening day, they are going to rebroadcast the opening day radio call, which that was a pretty memorable game. Even if you, you know, aren't a Brewers fan necessarily, you might remember the highlights that the Brewers played the Cardinals. Lorenzo Cain pulled back a potential go-ahead home run in the ninth inning. For the oh, win. that was a great game. It was an awesome opening day game. Easily the best opening day I've ever been to. I've been to every kind of opening day. I've been to uh, blowout oh, wow. losses. I've been to uh, easy wins. And I've been to uh, cliffhangers like the one last year. And last year was easily the best opening day I've ever been to. Hmm. Well, that's good news. Yeah. So they're going to replay that game. And the other the other fantasy thing we're doing, uh, of course, is if you missed the last episode, we are doing the Project GOAT, the best uh, fantasy seasons of all time. Make the best fantasy lineup that you can. Uh, more details in my post tomorrow and also in the last episode. But we've gotten, I don't know, something close to 200 people. So this is going to be an Uber League. This is going to be a crazy league. This is going to, I think the twist in the end, and I don't, I don't want to take any of the air out of the sails of it, but it's pretty obvious. The twist might be, hey, the 50 of you tied for first. (laughs) 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 Good luck. Uh, Try to beat each other now. So uh, we'll we'll see how how that works. Uh, And it'll be a bit of a bear for us to process maybe, but... As long as you all put your own stats in, um, you know we can just uh, we can collate those stats and and uh, and have a comp- have a competition with a twist in the end. Yeah, it's good for me to learn how to do things more efficiently in Excel. So that's that's probably what's going to result from this project. But email us rates and barrels at theathletic.com if you don't have the worksheet yet. Uh, as we said in the last episode, you don't necessarily have to play in our contest either. You can just ask for the worksheet. And take it with your friends, family, yeah. whoever, and just run it on Do your own, own on your own schedule. Uh, you don't have to send anything back. That's and it is one totally of those fun. things you can obsess over, dude. Like you can you can do it for a while. So, which is a great thing. Now, also wanted to point out rates and barrels. The email, the and is spelled out. We got a question on that. So yes, and there has to go. be spelled. I don't even know if can you actually put symbols in an email address. I think it's got to be just letters and numbers and dots and underscores. I think that's all you can have. I am not an expert on emails. It's another thing I could add to my list of things learn to learn. Learn more about emails. <laughs> Wave <laughs> of the future. <laughs> so uh, among the questions that we've been receiving, we've, there are multiple questions that came in about uh, adjusting to what will almost certainly be a shorter season, regardless of when it starts. I know there have been some ideas thrown out there or leaked out there uh, suggesting that Major League Baseball owners are still hopeful of playing a 162 game season. That is one of the least realistic things I think I've heard uh, as it pertains to baseball for 2020. And yeah, what like what information they were like? Where are they coming from on that? It's ridiculous. I don't and know. It, like they're they're part of their vision. I think was that they would run the regular season probably through the end of October and then play the playoffs entirely in neutral locations that are climate-controlled stadiums. And there's enough climate-controlled stadiums where you could probably pull something like that off, but you still, you're losing two months at the beginning and adding one at the end. That's just not going to be enough time to and get to the 162. And if you do doubleheaders and tax your bullpens and your arms, they're all going to be injured. And if you take a month out of the offseason, there's a likelihood of injury. So, off the next, and in the next season. So, I, I just, I think... Just let those games go, man. And I know Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, uh, was on a show yesterday. It was one of the ESPN shows. He was talking about pushing the end of the season back to get the end of the season in and then starting new seasons in the future right around Christmas. I mean, I don't know if you're listening and you're a big fan of the NBA or not, but Christmas Day has become like one of the NBA's sort of flagship days because they're really the only game in town that day. Uh, So they might kind of move why their whole why calendar does he want back. To, why does he want to move it back in general? I think it was something they they discussed before just to sync up the season differently. Um, they moved it back once recently. with hockey or something. Although maybe they don't think hockey is much of a competition. No, they do a pretty good job. Those two leagues, I, I don't know if they're fully in sync where they sit down and say, hey, you take these three days every week, we'll take these four. But those schedules could overlap worse than they do i mean i'm sure from like a logistic standpoint they have basketball to plan arenas. Is, 
is has days for sure. That is something, you know, I play fantasy basketball. Basketball has days. And it's something that I think baseball should consider is having a day off. Just like taking Thursdays off or Mondays yeah. or something. In fact, I think Thursday is a great day because you don't want to take Sunday off. And a lot of Mondays are holidays. And Thursday could become sort of a universal travel day, rest day. And if you had, if you just bake that in and had like a 144 game series a season, I think you'd have fewer injuries. You'd have happier players. You could send players. You could send a starting pitcher home for three or four days with their family. Um, you know, on the way to another location or something. Uh, you could use that uh, that day off to have a this week in baseball type shows where you where you just recap the week. You know, um, and Thursdays. You know. Valentine's Day is on Thursday. You know what happens in in the NBA on Valentine's Day? Nothing. <laughs> they always do their they always do their their All Star break around Valentine's Day, and there's usually nothing happening that day. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I don't know. Is that a coincidence or is that designed for players to be able to go home? I don't think that one's designed for players. I think that one is like no one's watching the NBA anyway, so let's put on the you know. Uh, rookies versus all-star challenge or something right brian mcknight in the uh <laughs> pros versus pop culture game yeah. he's always out there and he's always getting 20 he's gonna, he's gonna drop 20 points gonna get 10 assists <laughs> brian mcknight brings to the table in that game sandler should be there man the sandman yeah let's uh well, let's talk about the shorter season though because the broad question that came in was you know how does this change valuations if and when the season starts I think there's really two major ways. You know, there's the injured players who are just going to have more time to heal. Uh, there's tons of them, right? Aaron Judge with the stress, stress reaction in his ribs, Justin Verlander with groin surgery and with that lat injury that he has. Uh, it's a long list. It's guys coming back from Tommy John. So Corey Knable, a guy like Rich Hill who had an injury that was going to knock him out for a while. All of those guys are going to sync up closer to when the regular season begins. So they have chances of having equal seasons to everybody else in terms of workload. It's at least a possibility now, whereas yeah. you know, if the season were starting next Thursday, that wasn't going to happen. They were going to miss two-thirds of the season, or not two-thirds, a third, two-thirds, depending on the injury. They were going to miss a significant portion of it. That's not the case anymore. I think where a lot of people are, are kind of looking at players in, that are not dealing with injury is with young players who are going to have workload restrictions, right? So Jesus Lazardo, Julio Rios, Mackenzie Gore, mostly young pitchers in particular, uh, those pitchers who were going to be limited simply because they haven't thrown a full season's worth of innings in the past, they now are on a more level playing field compared to the veteran ace types, at least in terms of workload. They're much closer now than they would have been. So adjusting for that is probably one of the, the bigger challenges to sort out. Yeah, and there are there will be some vagaries of how the season is actually played out that may affect that. Like they may still go to six man rotations in some of those places if they're gonna be a lot of double headers and stuff, you know? Um so we'll have to see how that that works out but i think that young pitcher class is definitely one of the ones that does no asterisk attached they're a little bit better off now than they were i will put an asterisk on the veteran pitcher coming back from an injury because i just had a piece today about the idea that these players now all left their complexes they left the place where they put on the modus sleeve and they can test the stress on their arms they left a place where you know their coach can tell them exactly what they can, what they can do, where they can have an easy conversation, where things are directly measured, where their you know their their release point, their their, their valgus elbow valgus stress thing, you know everything is directly measured, and they can kind of uh, take you you know step you a day back or step you a day forward or whatever it is, depending on like how you are literally testing at that moment. All that stuff is out the window. All the stuff that they would do in a gym, most of the gyms are closing. So all that stuff is out the window. So if you think that these guys are going to come back, uh, you know, uniformly on the days that they were scheduled to come back, I think that's an erroneous decision. I will say I had an audio draft last night and I needed a bunch of dollar players. And so I did go heavy on the injured guys. So I ended up with uh, Knable and um, 
uh, I already had Paxton and Verlander, and I added Knable. I added uh, Nicholas. Um, I, I think he deserves to be on the list. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, went hard on the on the on the injured thing just because they were so cheap. I don't know if that's going to continue to be happening if drafts are going to go forward. Like people may uh, want to spend more on injuries, and I just wanted to say maybe the recoveries take longer because they're not in the ideal situation for recovery. Yeah, that is a really good point. Not being able to rehab under the the eye with the equipment is a big deal as it pertains to players kind of getting through the final stages of the rehab. Um, and we're still getting little bits of news I mean, from, from teams. I mean, they're still formally making roster moves for now. There's probably going to be a freeze at some point. Oh, there man. could be a Cutting freeze at people, some point. Dude. Yeah, uh, that's just... Well, there's there's players who have uh, just dates in which they can opt out, right? Yeah. And it's just such an uncharted situation. Like, what do you do? Like, I, I think it, it's it's like, whatever really you think of Hunter Strickland. Like, the Nationals cutting him right now is just seems seems rough. Yeah, um, because there's not really much he can do to go out and grab on another get team, something yeah. else. Yeah, there's just going to be a, a lull. I think. Hopefully for those guys, like they maybe like it'd be kind of cool if they got on Flatground. Flatground is a is a Twitter handle kind of a platform where you can post pictures of how you're throwing uh, with stats and like if they could throw throw some you know put some velocity and spin rates and some sort of rap soto numbers up on the screen for people. Maybe they could do some virtual scouting. Uh, that's been that's worked. I know for for kids getting signed to to colleges and to different programs uh, on the amateur level. So maybe some pros will jump on there because they just need to, they need to get out in front of some teams when no scouting is happening. And, you know, um, you know, they're probably not going to get signed now, but if they can show that they're work doing the work and they're, and they're, they're looking good, then maybe when, you know, things start up again, they'll get signed. So that's a really cool thing that Rob Friedman pitching ninja put together the flat ground app. Um, Definitely, I mean, if you're if you're listening to this show, you're probably following Rob already at Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but that flat ground app is a great like way a for players project. to get discovered, and and he's not he's not making money off of it. It's not some business venture where it's like, hey, send me some money and I'll retweet your video. It's it's just for like the greater good of creating opportunities uh, for pitchers from all different levels just to get eyes on them. I mean, it's the player pool is so vast that just having different ways to uh, draw attention is is really important. Uh, Shohei Otani, interestingly enough, is among the players who I saw some news on recently. Uh, the beat writer from the Athletic, Fabian Ardaya, actually had a piece or a note suggesting that Otani may be available to pitch from the start of the season, just because opening day has been pushed back so far. And you know, Otani, you wrote about him again for for 2020. Every single year, he's just been a different player to figure out because of the injury a year ago and uh, not pitching and pitching in year one and format is a big key of course in terms of just how much you want to still have him. say even with all those i think you're going to be happy about your investment i know you got him in an nfbc team and that's probably one of the worst situations for him because it's a weekly lineup and um you can't uh play games where you have him pitch for the first five days or hit for the first five days and then pitch on the weekend um I'd still think I still think he's going to be a good investment for people. He is, I think, a top three athlete in the game. Yeah, I, I think it's easier to see it working out in these circumstances, which is not to make light of the circumstances at all. Right. It's just that he was a guy who needed some more time to be ready to be a two-way player again. Now that seems more like a possible reality, but yeah, weekly leagues, especially where you got to make that call, and he's one thing or the other for an entire week, are still going to be tricky oh, as it pertains to him. I did want to uh, jump off of your discussion of the young pitchers without pitching limits and say young players, prospects, rookies in general, rookies, I think, are going to benefit from this. And here's my reasoning, which is uh, will be flushed out in more detail uh, tomorrow. But my reasoning generally is. In my column tomorrow, my reasoning generally is fewer games. Fewer games, even if there's a service time component, right? So people, you know, save a guy for uh, a month in the minor leagues so they can have him for another year uh, of team control or whatever. I understand that. 
and that that could be a reason why all the rookies basically start the season with their with their teams. However, the union and and the and Major League Baseball are in negotiations to try and figure that portion out. And so there may be some asterisk on the rule this year where they say, "Oh, Super Two date is going to be three or four or five weeks after the season starts." So you may still have some rule that will keep non-contending teams from playing their rookies right away. However, any team that has any chance whatsoever is going to play their rookies. So I think somebody like Nate Pearson with the Blue Jays is literally going to start the season with the Blue Jays. And my reasoning is the Blue Jays' chances of making the playoffs in a 162-game series season were about 1%. In a 100-game season, they're about 15%. Yeah, more variants with fewer games. Exactly. So I think there are players on the Padres, White Sox, Blue Jays. There's a great post by Dan Zimborski on Fangraphs that shows you which teams benefit the most. Look at the young players on those teams. Those are the young players that will probably start the season with their major league teams. So there's a third class of players that will benefit uh, from this situation. Yeah, Dylan Carlson. I mean, I think he was going to come up pretty quickly anyway. but Top of that list. He was doing everything in his power during spring training to really kind of force the Cardinals hand anyway. So yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, anybody else you can think of that we should bring up? Uh, I wonder how it impacts, uh, you know, free agents. Now, we just were talking a little bit about Hunter Strickland, but there's obviously um, Yasiel Puig to think about. And, I've seen him go in drafts and in labor, which was happening before we knew what was going on. I think he went to the same team uh, in AL and NL for about seven, six, seven bucks, which is kind of amazing to me to think that you would spend 14 bucks across two teams and one of them is going to be wrong. But I guess the other team will probably get about $14 of value. So <laughs> yeah, with a, with a shot at 20. I mean, I think he's, right. he's got a, a pretty nice in a mono league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so what does Puig do right now? You know, do our teams now less desperate to sign Puig because they have more time to get their outfield healthy or they get to bring up Dylan Carlson, you know, instead of trying to, you know, keep him down for, for a month or something. So um, I think that's interesting. I don't, it makes me, and it's sad. It makes me sad. It makes me pessimistic and it makes me sad. It makes me pessimistic that he will sign with the major league team this year. Um, for anything other than a stopgap measure. Uh, and it makes me sad because I think he's a fun character. And I know that he's uh, probably hard to coach, but um, he's also a major league quality outfielder. Yes, he should have been on a team months ago. Like there's, yeah. I, I, know, I know we've talked about, it's, it's not as simple as he's just the guy he is on the field, but the gap is is not as wide as it's made out to be. At least that's that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, it, I keep wondering. Yeah, is, is Japan or, or Korea maybe going to be an option at some point for Puig? You know, is that is that where we're going to see him play next? That would be if strange. Korea starts up earlier. You know, there, there'll be one name you recognize on the on the roster rolls at least. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few players in that league that you, they're going to be blast from the past. So if we end up getting a league like that off the Oh, ground. my homeboy Dan Straley is in Korea. Oh my gosh, I didn't check in with him. <gasps> Light bulb moment of the pod has just I occurred. should have made sure he was all right. Well, I'll check in with him afterwards, but we were going to do a beer trade, actually, Dan Straley and I. Oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> he was going to send me some Korean craft beer, and I was going to send him something from home, so... Uh, yeah, he's a... He, oh, and they, they were training in Australia, so maybe they just stayed in Australia. That's the last I heard from him, but yeah, worth checking in. Yeah, for sure. But I, you know, I think that uh, if we do do Korean baseball, I think it might be fun anyway, just to have a fantasy game for Korean baseball. Um, you know, they have some kind of bonkers numbers every once in a while. Um, it also for dynasty players would give you the jump on uh, Josh Lindblom's and and uh, you know players that might come over. Uh, you know, uh, Hinjin Ryu a few years ago. And uh, also, well, infamously, the third baseman for the Pirates. Uh, oh, Jung Ho Gung. Jung Ho Gung, yeah. Yeah. Infamous at this point. 
I was all over him, and I got a good couple seasons out of him in some deep fantasy leagues, but uh, yeah, not so much recently. No, no. Turns out he's a very bad person. Yeah, <laughs> turns out he's a bad person. All right. Uh, so is that? So we are on to the next question. Yeah, I think we we got through that one. Yeah. There, there, as I said, there'll be more on this tomorrow uh, in my piece, as much as I could as I could come to come up with. Yeah, uh, I think there's there's going to be some interest in KBO leagues. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and then enter the promo code RATES for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code RATES. All right, the next question here comes from Andrew. It is a draft and hold question. He writes, this year's Athletic Best Ball Contest introduced me to the NFBC for the first time, and he's become intrigued with the draft champions format. Uh, so... He's just kind of broadly interested in those leagues. There are 50 round drafts, uh, usually 12 to 15 team leagues. I prefer the 15s, you know, like the the 12 is perfectly fine. I just, I like digging into the deepest parts of the player pool. So for me, like the deeper the league, the better, because I feel like I have more of an advantage in those formats. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's self-serving of you. <laughs> No, no, I agree. I, I like to, I like deep release too, <laughs> probably for the same reason. But um, no, I, I also think it's kind of fun to reward more player types and to reward more players because these guys are all good, you know. So you know, just sort of focusing on the top one hundred just seems like okay, you know, yeah, the best of the best. But what about these other guys? You know, that's why I kind of like, even people make fun of saves and holds. I kind of like it because now you can, like these good setup guys, like Yusmero Petit, really good pitcher, like been really valuable for his teams. Maybe fantasy should find a place for him. So I do, I do like the score sheet uh, leagues as well, just as another sim option. That, that's where I kind of get the middle reliever fix um but yeah saves and yeah, saves and holds right, yeah. is a good way of doing that as well uh, but the draft and hold format i mean i think the the main thing there is sort of having a good balance between hitters and pitchers and i've done pretty well the last couple of years i don't play like 10 of them or anything like that but i played in one uh, with the first pitch arizona crew each of the last three seasons now and i've won it i've tied for first and i think i took second or third so i've just had a pretty nice run in those leagues. I think the biggest thing uh, is being willing to take on a little more risk than usual. But the way you manage the risk in those leagues is to really go ahead and, and find some of the boring, steady eddies that you would never draft in a non draft and hold situation. So by that, I mean like a Brett Anderson type pitcher or a Zach Davies. Uh, not sure why they're all going to be brewers in this example, but. <laughs> Those those are the boring steady Eddie types that have been there the last couple of years. Guys that you Okay, David Stearns. Like well, yeah, like David's like use David Stearns' hoarding of strange but not great pitchers to your benefit because those guys actually throw quite a few innings. Chase Anderson. I don't think I want Chase Anderson in most of my twelve team mixers, maybe as a streamer in fifteen team mixers, but I'm much more willing to roster him all season in draft and hold because there will be plenty of times where you actually want him in your lineup when you don't have the benefit of making moves in season. That's where the key comes in. So I think like yeah. a, a Chase Anderson in round 35 makes up for Mackenzie Gore in round 22. Like you're going to take those high ceiling shots a little earlier, but then you're going to have to backfill really effectively with the boring four and five starter types. And even with some seventh and eighth inning relievers, I think draft and hold actually makes uh, guys like 
Yusmero Pete, who you brought up. He makes that format makes those players useful. Yeah, there's I think the the thing that's fun about the format is the tension between upside and reliability. And you a lot of people focus on, oh, I want to, you know, take players that if they are up are good. You know, like I'm gonna take uh Joe Adele earlier, you know, like I'm gonna take these like really high ceiling guys and 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 uh, hope on the variance and like you know hit on a bunch of these and, and win. However, you still need to fill a lineup without without waivers. So you need to kind of think about that. And then I also thought, you know, how many times do we have, you know, uh, now we got an emergency alert coming in during the, during the thing, and I can't turn it off. Okay, you're going to hear that. So uh, one thing that I was thinking about, dude, veteran pitchers have great weeks all the time. <laughs> they do. Part of that's the function of keeping their job, too. Yeah, that's why they keep their job. But so I, I just want to. I know nobody cares about your fantasy team, but I'm I'm going to uh, just read through my pitching staff in the Rasball Best Ball, and it's a 12 team staff. But what I I tried to do was young players that had uh, that had upside, but also a role early. And so uh, my I go Paddock uh, Morton, Paddock, Soroka, Urias, Paxton. I think Paxton, by that point, you know why I picked him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's no season, Paxton. <laughs> um, but then uh, Alcantara, and then this is where it might get weird for people, Gossman and Gonzalez. Hmm. Kevin Gossman and Marco Gonzalez. Then Means, Turnbull, Voth, Rich Hill, Jake Arietta. Why Jake Arietta? Trent Thornton, Cal Quantrill, Randy Dobnak. Knable, Norris, and Gonsolin. And a lot of those guys are boring and old. But think of Gavin Gossman and Marco Gonzalez. I think they're great best ball pitchers. Like, they're going to have games where they have a two-star week at home and they give up, like, two earned runs in 14 innings. Yeah, and they're going to have even just one-star weeks at home where you would pick them up in a normal league, stream stream them and throw them away the week after. You have to put your streamers on your team in these leagues. Exactly. So it's it's building a, a pitching portfolio a little bit differently. And I'll, I'll do the same thing with the, the AFL league that I did this year. So my staff is Paddock, Soroka, Hendricks, Weaver, Lamette, Whitley, Gore. I got two closers, Yates and Rogers in my first nine. But then my bench pitchers, Ronaldo Lopez, Freddie Peralta, of course, uh-huh. Josh James, Bryce Wilson, oh, nice. Robert Stevenson, uh-huh. Colby Allard. Uh, Joely Rodriguez, John Duplantier. That was this was way back in like December. Oh, this is a deeper, this deeper league. Yeah. This is a little deeper. This is fifteen teams. Brett Anderson, yeah. Logan Allen. Uh, there you go. Shunya Maguchi. I even took Mike Leake really late in this one. Fifty rounds, yeah. fifteen teams. Mike Leake's going to have some. Look at Mike Leake's game logs. There are good weeks. Yeah, I mean, so and Cal Quantrill and I think uh, Dean Kramer were the last two. It, it gets really thin, but I I like taking those shots. I think it's fun to to draft a few pitchers that you would otherwise never even roster just to see if you can identify the right ones. On the hitting side, I I just I want to have like double the amount of um so if you have two catchers, I want to have four catchers on the roster. Um and actually kind of more, but what I I think that multi-eligible guys are useful. So Michael Chavis is huge for this team I built because he can play CIMI first and second. Um, and I wish I'd done more of that. My multi-eligible guys are Manny Machado, Michael Chavis, and then I went kind of harder on the bench with multi-eligible. David Fletcher um, and Nico Horner is going to be multi-eligible. Um, but I didn't have as much multi-eligible as I want. David Fletcher is a one-man one-stop shopping eligibility guy. Um, but uh, having multi-eligible guys in one roster slot means that with best ball, you, you like the algorithm that finds your best lineup has more options. Yeah, so best ball for sure, I think, both of these formats, best ball and draft and hold, multi-position eligibility players get a little more of a bump, and they're, they're pretty valuable anyway. Like I, I've never really quantified how much you should actually add to your auction value. I think when I've talked to Todd Zola about this in the past, it was kind of a 
50 cents or a dollar sort of bump, like a good tiebreaker between similar There's players. There's got to be a way to kind of do it more regimented, like actually figure out the value. Huh? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think, think Todd's tried it and has done it and just found that it it doesn't come out to be that much. But huh. I don't know. Like, I, I especially if it's like middle and corner, right? Like Tommy Edmonds, second base and third base. He's not just second and short. You can go second, third. That's where I, I think my weakest portion of my team is outfield, not because of the roster, because, they, listen, I have Trout, Harper, Conforto, Brian Anderson, and Nomar Mazar in my outfield. That sounds great. However, none of those guys are multi-eligible, and my bench in terms of outfielders is Bader and Hazley. Mm. Yeah. Right? That's weak. Yeah, that's it's just not quite as much. My last pick is going to be an outfielder. I don't. I don't care. I can broadcast it here. There's probably someone listening. I don't care. There's there's a few outfielders I like, but even with one more outfielder, that seems a little bit thin, right? Yeah, it's a little bit thin. But the other thing you got to think about too is that you can draft players who might be eligible at one position when the season begins, who are going to pick up new positions quickly. So, you know, Carter Keyboom shortstop only if he's on the team he's probably playing third base he could be nico horner third oh i have david fletcher is outfield eligible and if nico horner plays in the outfield that those that would make me have four outfielders that'd be better and nico horner is a pretty good best ball player that's another type of player that i think uh takes it gets advantages is david fletcher and nico horner low strikeout guys because low strikeout guys have these insane runs where they're hitting 400 for two weeks yeah, they, they just put they more do. balls in play, and they get something right for a while, and and they go off. If you had Fletcher or Hanser Alberto on any teams last year, you definitely saw that firsthand. Yeah, and they're not necessarily great players, but they end up finding a little more playing time than expected because of their versatility, at least in Fletcher's case. And then they pile up weeks that are definitely good enough to be. You know, Hanser Alberto, Hanser Alberto, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one question for you. I uh, I have one reliever on my squad. One? Hmm. Those are a little well, smaller it's, benches than... It's P only. Yeah. So I have Kenley Jansen. My thinking is, if I just get a ton of starters in a 12... Yes, that's the difference. 12-team, 15-team, right? Because in a 15-team league, you run out of starters that will have roles that you can sort of put on your bench and be like, at least he'll be starting. Because in a 12-teamer... Like I was just thinking, the if it's gonna pick best ball, ball I'd rather have a bunch of starters on there because it'd be some two starters or just a really good start. That'd be better than most. Like it'd be better than I think picking like a a, a reliever that's not a closer yet. It's tricky too, though, because it depends on just how much the system value saves. Like I know the cut line scoring system tries to prop up relievers a bit. So if you have a week where Kenley Jansen gets four saves or even three. That might be better than what a lot of your one-star pitchers do for that particular week. Even though his ceiling might be generally lower than what any starter can do, his good weeks are still better than kind of average weeks from starters. I put Knable on my on my bench, but yeah, um, uh, and, and Gonsolin might be a reliever, but um, uh, yeah, I just I think it was six to eight for me, eight for six for a win, eight for a save, and I know you can get like three save weeks so i maybe i made the wrong choice but i just felt like if i just load up on starters on my bench there's going to be some two starters in there and i won't i won't miss the uh the relievers that much yeah i, I mixed in a few just hoping that i'd maybe find saves but even if i don't with someone like a robert stevenson he's good enough to be my ninth pitcher if i don't have enough starters going See, that's, a, that's a big difference i think between 12 and 15 it's like I'd much rather have a starter than a reliever that's not closing in a 12-team league, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think... And, and I just didn't want to waste a roster slot on, like... I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying you waste a roster... Like, for 15, and Robert Stevenson makes sense. But in a 12, I'm going to put Robert Stevenson on my roster and maybe never play him? Yeah. Yeah, in a 12, and I think the... The cut lines have smaller benches than the draft champions, the draft and hold format. So you also have mm. fewer shots on the bench also. Mm. Anyway, draft and hold is an interesting idea. It, it, it's a good thing to sprinkle in, I think, also when you have a ton of teams. You just don't want to have all your teams be the same. Like if you had, like I have 12 teams or so usually in a, in a given year. And if I had 12 daily lineups to do every night, 
Yeah, um, it's a lot. I'm happy to have like a couple drafting holes. I don't have to do much. Uh, you know, three or four weekly leagues, and you know, three or four daily lineup leagues. That's a good mix where, you know, I'm doing something daily every night. But and I even for my FAB where it's only once a week, since having daily lineups helps me because every day I will adjust, or every day I have time, I will adjust the FABs up and down a little bit, right, and sort of keep a running, keep it as like sort of a running document. Uh, but just the, the pressure of you know doing like ten leagues of daily lineups every day would be too much. You can definitely make your Sunday fab runs easier by getting a little bit ahead of them. You know yeah. Thursday, Friday, start populating those lists, and then just tweet so you don't have days. to like get there on Sunday and be like, I need three hours. Yeah, yeah. You, it, it's it's hard to have that discipline, but it's helpful if you do. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and the quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com with the code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, let's move on to our next question. This one comes from a different James A. The question is, what is a good way to prevent managers from loading up on relievers and only playing relievers? Is it minimums innings pitched? Is it minimum and maximum starts? Um, he also has a sub question. Do openers complicate this minimum required starters in the lineup? Uh, what do you do? Do you change the pitching categories, make a combination of things? Uh, what's the best way to kind of balance out a pitching staff in terms of league rules? I mean, I think, I think IP minimums has been pretty effective. I think about AL labor, we have to have a thousand innings. It's pretty much uh, too many innings to, to do a reliever strategy. And you can kind of figure that out pretty fairly easily where you just add up your slots, you know, add up the number of innings you might expect from the, the, those types of pitchers in those slots. And then, you know, shave 10% off and say, okay, that's our new minimum. Thousands pretty good. You know, for a thousand innings, you can't get that from relievers. Yeah. You have to have four, four or five pitchers at least. To, to get close to a thousand, four or five starting pitchers. So uh, I think innings pitched is good. Uh, game started maximums, I think you could probably do that too, but there are ways to manipulate that with openers. Mm-hmm. If you just put Diego Castillo, and last year, you know, there were three or four guys. There's some guys on the Angels, some guys in the Yankees. Put Chad Green and Diego Castillo on your team. You could find your way to a game start maximum maximum with only relievers. So I think innings pitch is really the most effective. It's uh, low tech, but I think it works. No, I like it as a category too, as a way to replace wins. Mm. Also, it does give a little bump to the relievers who don't close that tend to get more than three outs at a time as well. I, I prefer changing something like the innings pitched requirement as opposed to saying that you have to roster six starting pitchers and three relief pitchers because even that. Those designations get muddied up by guys that move between the two roles. Um, yeah. If you're messing with categories, I I don't like that either because that that leads to some unintended consequences. I think you want to make it pretty straightforward. Like everyone's got to hit this minimum. I think maximum numbers of starts actually make a lot of sense for leagues with daily moves. That way, it's not just about churn. I mean, an innings cap does the same thing there, but that's the number that you probably want to play with the most. I think a thousand over a full season is good, and I think for 
you know, whatever percentage of the season is lost, you can just reduce it by that much just to make sure that your rules for this season end up being kind of in lockstep with the actual season length. Yeah, and I think thousand's a good one. So, and a thousand has the benefit of being just a real nice round number where you can now say, you know, unless you have really long lineups, starting lineups, you can now say, well, we're going to get 60% of the season, so it's 600. Um, but, uh, you know, other things I've seen are like things like uh, we're going to have wins and quality starts in here as like two separate categories, but that, that double weights the category makes you makes it more painful for you to to punt pitcher, starting pitchers. I don't know. I don't know. Something inartful about it. Yeah. Innings pitched is the the way to do it. Having that minimum, I think, is the, the best approach. Thanks a lot for the question, James. Uh, next question we received is a Keeper League strategy question. It comes from a listener uh, who's in a 20-team Keeper League. It's a different James A. There are multiple James A questions. Uh, it's typical 5x5 five five league for scoring, but from season and, to season... And neither of them is James Anderson, I'm guessing. No, ne- neither of them are our <laughs> friend James Anderson. From season to season in this league, they can keep 12 players and 8 minor leaguers and prospects. So those are kind of like a separate part of the roster. All prospects are picked up via the waiver wire uh, as CBS adds them to the player pool. After a series of trades, James now has a, a roster that's prospect heavy. It's Kelnick, Christian Pache, Spencer Howard, Varsho, just really heavily built for the future, which is the right thing to do if you're not contending right now. Uh, he writes, I'd like to start competing in 2022, but more importantly, I'd like to compete for the top prize in 2023 and beyond. With that time horizon in mind, what should I attempt to accomplish in the next year, 2021, and then into 2022 when he wants to start pushing towards the money. What else can he do in the short term to set himself up for success? And how do you judge when it's time to start trading some prospects in order to make a run at the title? So this is this is the trickiest thing about playing in a keeper league. If you haven't had to do it before, when do you know like your team is good enough to actually start acquiring veterans? And this is the right foundation, by the way. Like just going extreme prospect heavy playing for a season a couple years down the road, hoping that the bulk of the players you're building around stay healthy and and kind of hit at least their mean expectations, but that a few exceed expectations. Uh, What's your advice as far as other things that can be done once you've got a good base of prospects in place, but you're still probably two years away from making a push to the money? Well, if you've been listening, you know I have a, a, a perspective on how to do this and a and a theory so i'm just going to couch this as with one big imo (laughs) this is my opinion this is (laughs) this is how i play and so what i would do is i don't really love the full rebuild but it is it is more effective i think and it's more effective for this reason and it's the same goal that i have which is i think you need, need to identify a core and all you're doing with the with all these prospects is throwing darts, and you're hoping that one of the darts hits a bullseye. And when you're you're sort of questioning when do you uh, when do you think you're ready? I think three darts is a good enough. I'm in a 20 team league with Sharks, Ian Khan, uh, Tom Trudeau, you know, Salfino. Like it's a it's a really good league. Devils rejects. We talk about it here all the time. And James Anderson and I decided that we had a core to build around when we had Cody Bellinger, Ozzy Albies, and Gary Sanchez. That's it. Right. Like I mean, three top 40 players where two are at least top 20. And Bellinger's and that's it. top five. Obviously, we had other players on the team. And I'm going to go through a couple of them just really quickly to, to give an idea of other things you can do other than hoarding prospects. But that was the moment where we said, okay, this is good enough. Let's build the team around it. Because generally, you'll get more in present value by selling future value than you will the other way around. Right. That's my that's my underlying theory. Because people overvalue prospects and uh, don't think about bus rates and generally will give you like when I traded Robert Poisson for Michael Chavis and Yandy Diaz, the guys I got may be boring to some people, but they are now on this team that we fully expected to, to, to uh, go for the title. So 
Uh, the other thing I'd say is don't worry a lick about relievers except for another thing you're trying to do is uh, pick up guys that you might turn into more prospects. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't have any relievers uh, that were any good and we traded off any ones that we got, but trading off of relievers got us more prospects. And, you know, you may think, why should I pick up a guy like going into the season, like Garrett Richards, that might be in the redraft portion of the draft. Why don't I pick up a prospect? Why would I pick up a guy like uh, uh, like Tyler Molly, who who looks boring, or Cal Contrell, who's not going to be necessarily on my team, uh, you know, when we're good? Uh, why should I pick up a, a veteran that has fallen, like a Justin Smoke? Um, these players can be useful. Like I picked up Eddie Rosario in the redraft portion of this draft. And now he's a part of my team. You know, he's an important part of my team. So not only will you be surprised by how quickly you can rebuild and how quickly a guy like, Hey, maybe Kyle Quantrill will actually will be on your team when you're good. Right. Um, and then how quickly someone can establish value that you can trade away for more prospects, more shots in the dark. So I, I would say like, even though, You'll be tempted to only fill your roster with proje- with prospects. A, you have to probably have some minimums you have to catch, which I think he mentioned in the, in his question. Yep. Um, so, you know, pick some interesting veterans that will help you hit those minimums. Don't just wait until the very, very, very end and pick up whatever veterans are out there and just be totally crappy. I mean, that is a way to do it. But maybe pick some veterans that have a little bit of, of variance in their potential outcomes so that if they are good, you actually have a trade piece. And um, and then just wait. And I and I think strike earlier than you think. If you if you have the next equivalent of Albie's Bellinger and Sanchez on your team, go for it. Yeah, if you get to the point, you know, a year and a half from now, and Kelnick's up, Var shows up, and Trevor Larnick or whoever, whatever from that group, some combination are all early round guys who are just locked in. That's probably the the green light to go ahead and. I would guess that he has. I would guess that he has one. On his team, I would guess it's Kalinich, but maybe maybe Varsho. Um, so I don't think that he necessarily has it yet, uh, but th- he's doing the right work. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's definitely the right foundation that he's got going so far. But I think the thing that I would echo from from your points that I completely agree with is continuing to get pieces onto your roster that can be added to trades. I mean, a Tommy Edmond type player, if you picked him up last year. Maybe he's not on the team that wins it for you a couple of years down the road. Because he, he's 28 already, right? He's already a little old. He's 24, 25. Either way, you pick him up. Someone else needs speed. You add him to a package of something else, or you trade him straight up for a really young, interesting prospect who actually does exceed expectations. You basically that's bought the, a prospect for $5 in fab. That's the other thing. Like you know, Consider even now looking at other rebuilding squads and saying, you know, do you think is there a is there a prospect on my team like a Larnock or something that you know is is number twenty on some list, but I have him more like number fifty because I don't I don't know if I believe that that he has that kind of uh, potential. Could I package him with another prospect and get a prospect I really want? Because really, you're just you're hunting that upside, so. You know, it, there's no such thing as overpaying if you get the guy you want. That's 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 a sort of side theory from mine. So, like, I gave up Carlos Carrasco and I think two other veterans to get Ozzy Albies before, when he was in the minor leagues, and it was a prospect because I was like, this guy's gonna make it. I don't care. I want to pin. I want to. I'm attaching my cart to this horse, and. That might have been a funny moment for someone like me who's like, trade your prospects all the time, you know? But I wasn't in it. I, Carlos Carrasco, you know, I already thought he was going to be kind of injury prone. And I thought, this is my moment to get one guy. And I think I traded three veterans for Ozzy Albies. I might have gotten some other pieces, but it was, in my mind, it was just Ozzy Albies. That's all I wanted. So that's the other thing you can do is try to identify people that you just want at all costs that you're going to hit your wagon to that you can throw three veterans together or even three prospects together to try and get that one. Yeah. The other type of player that I really like, and I made a trade with uh, Ian and James Anderson actually in the Rotowire dynasty invitational last May 
Get the guys who are either about to get called up or the guys who are stuck on the big league roster without the role that you want them to have. So a good example of that now would be Tony Gonsolin, who you just brought up a little while ago. Mm -hmm. He's not in the rotation right now, but flash forward to 2021. It's not difficult to imagine a scenario in which Tony Gonsolin is a starter either for the Dodgers or somewhere else because he got traded. Um, The trade I made last spring was I gave up Jake Odorizzi and threw in Dustin Fowler and got back Josh James, who was a reliever, and Oscar Mercado, who hadn't been called up yet. You know, like that's the kind of future look you have to have. You, you want to kind of or, just get about a year ahead of the role actually kind of falling into place. Or Ian Kahn, who's a crazy person. I really had a, a fun time getting to know him in Florida. Um, this is a, this to me, like at least two years ago, I would have been like, you are insane. But he traded Charlie Blackman. What was the other one? Oh, man. The Blackman. I remember talking about this trade. Was it Charlie Blackman and Charlie Morton? Something like that. Yeah, he, he's made some trades over the years that you hear about him, and you're like, wow, how did you get that? And then like a month passes, and you're like, wow, that's even more crazy than I thought at the time. Like it, it's- He traded Charlie Blackman and, and Charlie Morton for a draft pick. And the draft pick was Jason Dominguez. Yeah, there you go. That that was the that was the gist of it. And like I'm like, what? I would love to be on the other end of that. But he believes that Jason Dominguez is Troutian. And I think he also believes that Morton and Blackman are at that point. Are about to lose their value. Yeah, their their production could go off the cliff. And as soon as that happens, the they have no value. The overcorrection in dynasty leagues on those players will completely sap their value. So it was it was the you couldn't get good existing players back in a trade for them. In probably in the league he was in. So turning that into the first pick in the reserve draft or the first pick in the redraft was ultimately the the best path to go. Yeah. So. I traded Kevin Newman for Lenzo Kane um, with Ian Khan this year. Kevin Newman for Kane. You got Kane on that one? Yeah. But Newman's 26, not going to steal any more uh, than he did last year, in my opinion. Uh, probably was his peak season last year. And I'm fully aware that Lorenzo Kane might turn into a pumpkin. I, I wonder, this, is, this may be spurious thinking, but like I also picked up Kevin Newman off the waiver wire. So your your investment cost was low, so your attachment was low. Right. And I think Kane's going to steal more bases than Newman next year, and I want to win it next year. So that was it. Yeah, I, I think that does kind of play for and against us sometimes. Like the, the waiver pickup that was a $2 fab player doesn't necessarily stick with us as long as the yeah. $20 auction player who's underperforming. He's saying, oh, yeah. my God, I got, I've, I've spent $20. But in both cases, it matters a lot less than you think. You should, you should mentally strip the, uh, the acquisition price away almost immediately. It's funny because Tout Wars on, on Roto, it keeps the auction values next to the player name all season mm-hmm. long. And it's just a redraft league. And I still think it, it messes with your head to see what those players cost on draft day, what you spent, what the other owner spent. I, I kind of wish it wasn't there, but figuring out how people hold on to those values is pretty helpful when it comes to uh, making trades. Thanks a lot for the questions, James. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. 
We've got uh, one more email to get to. This one comes from Jason. It was kind of a follow-up to something we talked about on our last episode. We were talking about penalties for tanking or, or ways to, to curb uh, teams from kind of just giving up. Uh, his response is that he plays in an 18-team auto-new-style point system, and they try to incentivize rather than penalize. So on top of the 260 auction cap, they actually offer bonus cap money, $5 to third place, uh, $4 for fourth place, and so on. So uh, first incentive, first and second place get the money, so they wanted to add incentive to finish as high as possible. Otherwise, he writes, tanking still happens, but teams have been fighting a bit more for extra cap space the following year if they're in the middle ground. So interesting way to look at it, too. Instead of just punishing the teams at the bottom, find different ways to reward the teams that do better kind of in the upper part of the huh. middle of the pack. I like that a lot, too, because it's a little different than the the payment payout structure we discussed where the top and bottom teams get penalized the most. It, it reminds me a little bit of giving the top you know, minor league or restocking draft pick to the person who wins the consolation tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what's not perfect about it is the same thing that's not perfect about giving the top pick to somebody who wins a consolation tournament is that it incentivizes mediocrity. Yeah, like it, a little it, bit. It incentivizes the middle a little bit, which is I think it's it still does what you want in the end because what happens too many times, especially in keeper leagues, is that sort of you know tank or or or, or compete, right? And so by incentivizing the middle you kind of pull things together a little bit. So that's, that's good. But I, I wonder if, you know, in his league, um, there's someone who's been in the bottom for a really long time. Yeah, there could be. I mean, and, and the worst type of owner is the one who doesn't even try because it makes it easier for everybody else to get better, especially in yeah. a keeper league. I, I find that to be so frustrating. When the bottom team just stops trying to get better, that owner shouldn't yeah. really be in the league anymore. And if they come back year after That's, year, it's like you just missed three months of opportunities to find surplus talent available on the wire. Like you have the luxury of taking as many flyers as you want in some cases, and you're not yeah. even taking a single one for months. We're dealing with that in our long-term keeper league, and he just does just enough, shows up just barely enough to keep his team. And we're just like, I almost just want to be like, hey. I know you haven't missed any of the deadlines. You always show up just, you know, a day later, just enough so that we can't kick you out of the team. I think we're just going to kick you out of the team, out of the league. <laughs> you're just you're not doing enough. You don't, your your trade offers are terrible and they're, you do like one a month. Um, and you're, and you're not going in any direction. And I think, you know, it's actually probably easier for us because we don't even know the kid that well. He's just been in the league for a long time. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's a little it's bit harder when you know the person. It is worse if, if someone that you like and they just don't really fit the league very well. To you, can, you just have to kind of like get across them. Hey, man, we care about this a lot, and it, it doesn't seem like you care about that much. So you're still our friend, and like we're still good, but like we want this league to be as good as we can make it. You know? Yeah, that's probably the nicest way to, to let someone down. Uh, kind of easy in that situation. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the question, Jason. Lots of great questions this week. If you want to send us a question for a future episode, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks to the many of you who've taken the time to do that. Um, but as always, you know, if you want to get on Project Goat, also flip us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Just make sure if it's for Project Goat that the subject line says Project Goat. That way we give it the correct attention and make sure we send you back the sheet as quickly as possible. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. <laughs>